But first, uh, this evening, we'd like to bring on Sheikh Shoaib Ahmed uh, from Pretoria this evening to talk about, until recently, one of the living legends of our time. Unfortunately, in the past few days, he has passed away at the age of 107, Rahmatullah Alayhi, Sheikh Abdurrahman al Katani who is celebrated for his exceptionally elevated chains of transmission for hadith. Let's find out more with Sheikh Shweb Ahmed kindly joining us this evening. Uh, Sheikh, shukran for your time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Sheikh, a good pleasure speaking to you once again uh, here on the airwaves and uh, going straight into this uh, a great loss for the Ummah which uh, lamentably as some have pointed out have, uh, many perhaps have not uh, uh, understood or appreciated the gravity of the loss of this particular scholar and what he represented. Uh, firstly we look at the family, the Katani family, uh, which uh, as a whole is seen as being uh, very elevated in terms of its scholarly legacy. Can you perhaps uh, tell us a bit about that as a backdrop to the scholar himself? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Shukran, jazakallahu khairan. Before I start with the scholarly background uh, just as a quick way of introduction because uh, extending to what you had rightly mentioned at the beginning about uh, Sheikh Abdurrahman Al-Kittani's Rahimahullah's uh, very high isnat which probably we'll touch on a little later but it's uh, appropriate to begin with the hadith where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said Nadarallahu imra'an sami'a maqalati fawa'aha wa hafidaha fa'addaha uh, oh, oh, and uh, this, there's a number of narrations of this particular hadith where Rasulullah Sallallahu said that may Allah brighten or illuminate the face of that person who heard some of my statements or something that I may have said and understood it and memorized it and then conveyed it or transmitted it. So that whole process of listening, uh, retaining and then transmitting the words of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam which has been a special feature of this ummah uh, for the last 1400 years. In addition to that, the fact that you spoke about the isnad, uh, it is one of the unique characteristics of this ummah. Uh, Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, rahimahullah, used to say, al-isnadu min al-deen, lawla al-isnadu laqala man sha'a ma sha'a, that this isnad, meaning your chain of transmission, is part of our deen, and had it not been... Uh, for this isnad, anyone could have went about saying anything. Right? So the ulama paid, played a great amount of emphasis on the whole process of acquiring isnad, and that is like they say, many of them have said, al-ilmu rahimun bayna ahlihi, knowledge is the rahim, is the, is the, 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 the family structure, such people are related, scholars are related by virtue of their ilm. And then some went on to say further, and the Sanad and the Isnad is their Nasab, is their lineage. Right? So as a background, uh, the, you know, that is very important that we understand this. And then we move into, like you mentioned, the Kitani family. Now the Kitani family is in Morocco, but there's different, uh, you know, uncles, aunts, you know, related uh, in different ways. So the family that we particularly talking about, the one is Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Kittani, he is the son of Abdul Hayy al-Kittani. 
Now, Sheikh Abdul Hay al-Kittani was a renowned, renowned scholar of his time. He was uh, born in around 1885 and died in around 1963. Uh, he was also in Morocco, in Fez in particular, in the city of Fez. But Sheikh Abdul Hay, the father, what's so special about him is that he was an all-rounded scholar, in, excelled in all the sciences, but in particularly, he was very, very good in hadith with regard to what they refer to as riwaya and diraya, both the transmission as well as the understanding and the fiqh and explanations of the hadith. And at his time, up to the time when he had passed away, he was regarded by many as the Musnid al-Asr, the one who had the most excessive and large number of uh, asanid and chains of transmission, uh, which he compiled much in a very famous book of his called Fahras al-Faharis wal Athbat, except for a lengthy title, which is in about two volumes or more. And uh, he had at his time, to the time of his passing, something like 500 shuyukh from whom he narrated. That is why he was regarded uh, as the Musnid of the dunya, right, uh, at, at his time of Musnid al-Asr. So that is Abdul, Abdul Hay al-Kittani, the father of Abdul Rahman al-Kittani. In addition to that, Amongst the Kittani family, cousins, uncles, there were others that had also featured, the grandfather, uh, uncles. One of them was Sheikh Muhammad ibn Jafar al-Kittani, who we will hear about maybe shortly. Muhammad ibn Jafar al-Kittani uh, died in around 1927, if I'm not mistaken, yes. He was a, a renowned scholar as well. And uh, uh, he written, uh, had written a number of famous books in Hadith and other subjects as well. And he was probably regarded as one of the first people to teach the book Musnad al-Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in, in, in Morocco. But he didn't suffice for that. He traveled extensively. And these Kitanis generally had traveled a lot. And uh, Muhammad ibn Jafar in particular traveled until he arrived in the Haramain, Makkah and Medina. And he conducted the Rus there in Makkah and Medina, lessons in Makkah and Medina. And then he went to Sham, or, or he was in Sham at some point. And he taught in Damascus, and some of his children remained in Damascus. And this is important because he's, when he eventually returned, Muhammad ibn Jafar, for example, returned to Morocco, he left behind oh, his son Muhammad Makki al-Kittani, who later went on to become the head of the Ulama Council of Syria. Whereas the person we are speaking about tonight, Abdul Rahman al-Kittani, his father also traveled on two occasions to Sham, to Syria and met with many, many of the ulama there and sought ijazah from them, right? And uh, then he eventually returned uh, to Morocco, etc. And uh, uh, that is a bit of the background. To this day, now that Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Kittani has passed on, to this day there are certain uh, individuals within the Kittani family. Uh, for example, I mentioned Muhammad ibn Jafar. Muhammad ibn Jafar had a son who passed away a few years ago. Sheikh Idris al-Kittani was also over 100 years old. was his last son, uh, last child of his to have, uh, to, to have passed on if he had passed away in 1927. Or he had a son who still was alive until a few years ago, uh, I think 2015 or somewhere around there that he may have passed on. Uh, and uh, there are still some individuals some females, uh, I think Nuzha al-Kittaniya, Jamila al-Kittaniya, and these women narrate from their grandparents and they narrate from others in their family who have very, very high isnad. Right? But none of them 
would reach uh, the, the Isnad uh, and the Senate and uh, the, the strength of the Senate of uh, Abdul Rahman al-Kitani. In terms of his learning, uh, Sheikh, you, you mentioned uh, the, the travels that he and fellow family members would have made to acquire uh, a hadith around the world. Uh, but would there be, a, uh, uh, you know, in, in a sense, not so much of this acquisition took place in seminaries per se, but it was through a, a very, very traditional method, uh, and particularly uh, the, the passing down of this knowledge within the family circles. Um, you're right. Uh, it was a combination of both, where they would sit at uh, traditional, we'd say, seminaries, and more particular, when we speak in the Moroccan context, they, many of them had spent years studying in Fez, more specifically in Karawiyin, the famous university in Karawiyin, which is uh, uh, the oldest uh, university in the world in the city of Fez. So many of them sat there for formal studies, as they, per se, in a traditional environment, but they supplemented that with their uh, lessons which they took from their fathers, their grandparents, their uncles, aunts, etc., as well as other shiuk. Now, this, what you, you, you alluded to, is very important because you'll find that in uh, our Sheikh Abdul Rahman al-Kitani as well, that from a very, very young age, uh, you know, uh, his father, and this was their general practice, they were very particular on the education uh, of their children. They would take their children with them and, uh, you know, uh, accompany them uh, uh, from as young as uh, sometimes three years old, four years old, going up and uh, take them with to attend uh, hadith lessons, to meet other shiuch. Uh, so there's a case where we speak about uh, Sheikh Abdul Rahman al-Kitani. One reason why one of his isnads is extremely high is that his father had taken him <coughs> and sought ijazah for, for, for him from a person who had passed away in 1921. In 1921, when Sheikh Abdul Rahman al-Kitani was probably one and a half or two years old, his father asked the Sheikh, please grant my son ijazah. What that simply means that Sheikh Abdul Rahman al-Kitani, a hundred years later, was the only man alive in the world narrating with that particular sonnet from that person who died a hundred years ago. So that shows how particular they were uh, generally. You'll find some of his isnad, he had taken from uh, a person when he was five years old. And that's what made Sheikh Abdul Rahman al-Kitani very, very unique, that he loved till he was around, if you work on the Hijri date, years of over 105, 106 years old, then uh, he loved so long, but an entire, probably generation or more, had passed on. Uh, some scholars who he narrated from passed away 80 years ago, 90 years ago, 100 years ago. So there's nobody uh, alive today in the world who narrates through those particular people who have died a long, long time ago. And the only way uh, this would have, could have happened, and, and it's documented, I mean, there are times when his father actually, in his book, mentions it and states it, that I was, I had asked Ijazah from, uh, I sought Ijazah from so-and-so uh, for myself, and I included, uh, I made a request for my son, Abdurrahman. And then you look at it stated at the bottom, when that particular ijazah was granted, and you find out that Sheikh Abdul Rahman at the time was five years old, or he was two years old, or he was seven years old, and stuff like that. So that shows how eager and how particular 
The father was, even though, he, like I said, he had narrated from like 500 to you, but he was very particular over the narration of his children. And not only Abdurrahman, but his other children as well. But the reason why Abdurrahman sort of maybe stands out is because he lived this long uh, life, as well as he himself used to say, that I spent 50 years of my life with my father, and then after he passed away, I lived for another 50 years. That's what he said a few years ago. Right? So I lived another 50 years. So uh, that's what made him so special in the sense that, like I said, there's nobody narrating today uh, from many of those people uh, who he narrated from, if not most of them. We understand from the descriptions that have been given after his passing away, and you could uh, correct us in this, uh, that he had one of the shortest chains uh, for the transmission of hadith, if not the shortest chain. Uh, what, what exactly is being referred to here? Um, in, in, is it in, in referred uh, in terms of the Sahih al-Bukhari or uh, you know some some other books of uh, hadith? Uh, if you could just explain to us uh, the shortness of the, the chain and the uniqueness right. in this regard. So there's two aspects there. Now, one first is generally amongst the ulama of hadith, whenever there are fewer number of people between the sheikh or the person narrating to, uh, say, a particular scholar, in this case, let's use Imam al-Bukhari as an example, the fewer number of people in that chain of transmission would mean that's a very high sanat and a very high isnat. Whereas the moment the number of people increase, right, then it's regarded as a lower sanat or sanat nazil. That's what they generally refer to. When we come to Sheikh Abdurrahman al-Kitani, like I mentioned a short while ago, he had started very, very early on, uh, you know, was, uh, as was practiced by studying under his father as well. And uh, he dedicated a lot of his time to the khidma and service of his father. And with the result, over a period of time, he had studied and read uh, Sahih al-Bukhari, for example, six times completely uh, with his father. Right? And in addition to that, books like Sahih Muslim complete, Abu Dawood, Sunan al-Nasai, the Muatta, with the narration of Imam Yahya, uh, Al-Adab al-Mufrad, um, Shamayin of Imam Al-Tirmiri, Shifa by Tabi Iyad, the Fatih Hadith of Imam Al-Nawawi, Al-Fiyat Al-Iraqi in the Science of Hadith. Uh, these books, he had completed them under his father. This is over and above what he may have read and heard from others. I'm only concentrating on his father. In addition, there were other books he may have not completed. Right? He did maybe a substantial amount. Uh, for example, Imam Al-Tirmiri's Jami'ah. Uh, Sunan Ibn Majah, Musnad Ahmad, uh, Darimi, uh, and some of these. So, because of that, and by virtue of the fact that he narrated from his father, and he narrated from a lot, lot of all, lot of those you whom his father narrated from, and a lot of those you whom his father had sought ijazah for him or on his behalf. Hence, his isnad in hadith in general is very, very high. But like is uh, the common practice, people, uh, when you study hadith, a lot of focus is on Sahih al-Bukhari because it's the most authentic uh, book after the Quran. So they focused on his isnad there first. And whenever you read and study these books, which are known as Tabat or Asbat, which are compilations of the different shiuchs, asani, their chains of transmission, they would generally begin those books either with Hadith al-Rahmah 
And then with the Asanid of the Qutub al-Sitta, the six famous books of Hadith, and then first amongst those is Sahih al-Bukhari. So when we talk about his shortest isnad, uh, yes, they would say that between Abdurrahman al-Kittani, Shaykh Abdurrahman, and Imam al-Bukhari, there are certain isnads that have, uh, if you count and you list the entire isnad, you'll have a sanad where Imam al-Bukhari is the 19th person. And there are sanads where Imam al-Bukhari is the 18th person. That's probably one of his shortest right, uh, isnads. Link going from himself, Abdurrahman, if you exclude him, and then say his father is number one, and going thereafter, tell Imam al-Bukhari, uh, the continuous chain would then make Imam al-Bukhari number 18, right? And uh, that means it's an extremely short snad. And then from Imam al-Bukhari to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the Senate could have three, four, five people, etc. But uh, we're talking about the so that's unique in that sense. And with that, that particular snad is, uh, he transmits various other books with the similar snad, uh, with a similar chain of transmission. So books like, uh, you know, maybe Shifa by Kabiyyat, the Muwatta of Imam Malik, and various other books may have the Samala Isnad or slightly different in, in some uh, categories of the Senate. He taken initially from his father or some of his other shiuch who had passed away at the time of his father or even before his father. He taken from some shiuch who passed away long before his father. I'd like I mentioned when he was five years old, he, he took on some sheikh and the sheikh passed away the next year or a year later or six months later, etc. So some of those Sanid are extremely high towards certain other books as well. His relationship the relationship of the family with uh, the Arab world, with uh, places like Bilad al-Sham, uh, but other parts of the Muslim world, I mean, I've seen that there was uh, this eager exchange for him to gain the uh, chains of narration of scholars from all parts of the world, even from the Indian subcontinent, and likewise, uh, people from the Indian subcontinent and so many other places uh, naturally would incline towards him to be able to benefit from uh, the very high chains that he had. 100%, uh, you are correct. Uh, he was very particular. This was their general practice to take from ulama and scholars across the world. And I'll just give you a few examples to show you the, the variety in, 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 uh, you know, in their selection and their taking of uh, ulama from different parts of the world. So over and above the various and the numerous ulama that they had taken from in Morocco, we take, for example, Muhammad uh, Tahir ibn Ashur. He was a Tunisian scholar who had written the famous uh, tafsir called Tahrir uh, wa Tanweer. He passed away in 1973. So Sheikh Abdul Rahman met him in Tunis in, in 1949 when he went to Tunis with his father. Right? And that's when he took Ijazah from him. So that's a Tunisian alim. Then we talk about a Libyan alim, uh, Muhammad Idris Sanusi, right, who passed away in around 1983, I think. And uh, he had visited Fez. Uh, and uh, in around 1954, and Sheikh Abdul Rahman took Ijazah from him, so that's a Libyan scholar. Then we go to Egypt, the former Mufti of Egypt, one of the great Hanafi ulama, his name was Sheikh Muhammad Bakhit al-Muti'i, who died long ago in 1935. Sheikh uh, Abdul Rahman has an Ijazah from him as well. Then from ulama in Mecca, uh, there was a number of ulama in Mecca that he had taken from. And when we speak about ulama of Makkah, there was one particular alim who was originally from India, uh, Abdul Ghani al-Dahlawi. Right? And we all know Bashar Waliullah al-Dahlawi is actually, uh, that's where the Senate goes through. And Abdul Ghani's daughter, Amatullah al-Dahlawiyah, 
she died in 1938. So Sheikh Abdul narrates from uh, Amatullah at Dahlawiya. He narrates from her as well, right? And uh, that uh, and from uh, 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 another Indian scholar, one of the, the Dahlawi ulama, Abdul Sattar al Dahlawi. Right? He narrates through from him via his father. So Sheikh Abdul Rahman narrates from his father, who took from Abdul Ghani al Dahlawi. And then from Abdul Aziz at Dahlawi, and then from Shawadiullah at Dahlawi. Right, so that's the one going via the Indian Isnad as well. Then there's uh, Habibullah Shankiti, who was a Mauritanian Alim who passed away in 1944. But he spent a lot of time in Egypt. Sheikh Abdul Rahman had taken Ijazah from him as well. Uh, then there was an Indian Alim who lived in Medina, a very great Alim who had compiled even a number of books as well as his uh, different Isnad. In another book, he passed away in 1944 as well, Muhammad Abdul Baqi al Laknawi. So Sheikh Abdul Rahman had taken from him as well. So from this, you see this particular variety. There is even, there is even an Isnad that he has. He's probably one of the last to narrate from another Indian Alim uh, known as Mulana Ahmad Rida Khan, who died in 1921. Right? So he had taken from him as well. So there are Tunisians, there are Lebanese, there's Indian ulama, there's... Uh, um, a number of ulama from Egypt um, um, and uh, other parts of the world, Mecca, Medina, as well. Amatullah Tahlawi, I mentioned, lived in Medina, Manawara, right, as, uh, uh, as well. So he had taken from all of these different ulama from across the world. There were some who had Yemeni origins, etc. And uh, likewise, we find uh, this practice to a certain extent, or maybe to a great extent, in fact, continued to this day. When I say continued in this day, where now ulama from other parts of the world uh, appreciated and understood the, the, the value of Sheikh Abdul Rahman al-Kittani and of his isnat and his extremely high isnat that they, he was sought after. People would travel from all over the world to, to meet him. Uh, so, uh, for example, uh, the late Monana Yunus Jonpuri, who was the very, very senior student of Monana Zakaria Kandahlawi. Monana Yunus passed away in 2017. Once on his one of his trips for Hajj Umrah, he had heard that uh, Sheikh Abdul Rahman Al Kitani was in uh, Makkah or Medina. He made it a point of trying to locate him, meet up with him, and take the ijazah from him. And he would boast about that ijazah because it went via Abdul Rahman to Muhammad ibn Jafar Al Kitani, etc. Likewise, the person who's still alive, Mufti Taqi Uthmani, went out to meet Abdul Rahman Al Kitani and take ijazah from him as well. So this uh, particular practice, like I said, once people understood and realized his, his value in terms of his isnad, and not only was he isnad, he was a wonderful scholar and a, a person of exceptional character and personality as well. And uh, just uh, to, to coming towards the end, uh, just to pick up from that point, uh, Sheikh, uh, you mentioned a hadith at the beginning, uh, the dua of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, for somebody who narrates from him and passes on uh, the the prophetic light, uh, and people who have met with the sheikh have uh, pro- described uh, a kind of luminous glow on his face, and uh, people mentioning as well uh, that the, the 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 light of the hadith being a form of sustenance and risk. Uh, that uh, you know gives strength and gives vitality uh, to the body. Anything you could share on that? And did you have any opportunity to possibly engage with the sheikh or members of the uh, wider family? 
Um, alhamdulillah, I was blessed in, uh, to meet him in 2011, and uh, that was prior to meeting him. I was in the city of Rabat, and I met one of his, we'd call him one of his nephews, uh, Sheikh Hamza Al Kitani, and Hamza had actually facilitated and arranged for me to meet with Sheikh Abdul Rahman the next day in Fez. So I met him the next day at his home in Fez. And uh, we were a few people and we read some hadith and things to him. And like you rightly mentioned, uh, he was a person, you know, that the, the, the nur of the hadith was on, clearly visible, a uh, man of exceptional patience. He was already in his 90s and yet uh, he would sit patiently, persevering and, uh, you know, uh, with a lot of sabr and you'd read and he'd never once tell you, stop, I'm tired, I'm old, I need to rest uh, or etc. He would sit patiently once you stop, that's only when he'll get up. Right? But he would never disturb or disrupt the lesson saying, you know, I'm old, I'm tired, I need to get up, I need to, you know, take a walk or stretch or whatever. Right? And that was, I had attended that one day at his home between Asr and Maghrib. And the next day, uh, the people traveling with me and other people who I met, some Moroccans, they said, no, we don't have an appointment today with the sheikh, so we're not going to bother him. So I decided I'm going to, I came this far and I'm going to simply try my luck as such and take a walk to his home and uh, knock on the door. If he's available, if he's willing to see me, uh, I understand he's in his 90s, alhamdulillah. And if he's not in the position to see me, then alhamdulillah as well. So everyone else remained in the hotel or at the coffee shop and they all were busy. They said, no, we're not going yet. Some said they're too tired. So I walked, I knocked on his front door and... To my surprise, he opened the door. And I said to him, Chef, do you remember me? He said, yes, you were here yesterday. I said, can I come in? Uh, he said, sure, by all means. So I said to him again from Asad al-Maghrib. That was in a very special session because it was alone, myself and Sheikh Abdul Rahman. And then I read an additional number of hadith from Shama'il and various other books. And that's when you see the man, the, you know, unique personality, uh, sabar, uh, forbearance, and patience with, you know, simply listening for hours, to the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu and uh, very welcoming to anyone who wished to, you know, sit with him uh, and, and, and take any benefit from him. And uh, the surprising thing is the next day, uh, I was maybe three or four kilometers away from his home, and uh, I just was maybe, I think, getting something to eat. And as I turned around, I saw him walking across on the other side of the road. So I ran over to greet him, and I said to him, Chef, you're walking down the road, and I remember he's in his 90s, and uh, you're quite far from your house. Uh, did you come by car? He says, no, I walk. It's important that you walk to keep fit, he says, and, and keep healthy. And he'd walked those few kilometers from his house. He said, I just have some work at some of the, I don't know, was it some government building or something. But yeah, that was something special about him. Where And he was, like I said, very generous. He called his son and said to him, take all these books, go and photocopy this. And you don't take a cent from this young man and photocopy it and give it to him as a gift from me to him. And he made his son, who was probably in his 40s, go to a nearby uh, photocopy center and photocopy a number of books and poetry and stuff and said, this is a hadiyah, this is a gift. And uh, I know we, uh, my son must not, he then told me, my son must not take any money from you for this. Uh, this is what I'm giving to you. So a uh, unique personality, a person who was known to be you know, quite uh, particular on his aurat, uh, 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 his various forms of dhikr and uh, askar, uh, daily, etc. And uh, all of this was uh, very special about him. And a lot of the, uh, the uh, person of the exceptional akhlaq, 
uh, as well as they say, taken a lot of the barakah of the du'as of his father because he served him for like 50 years, uh, alhamdulillah. Uh, lastly and briefly, uh, Sheikh, as far as the uh, lessons that we get from this, uh, one would be, you know, embarking on a structured journey through the ahadith uh, and the sciences of ahadith, uh, but also the enlivening of the spirit of and the eagerness of uh, you know, connecting with uh, the chains of narration and lofty chains of narration around the world. What do we get from uh, the life of the scholar and what encouragement would you be able to share with us uh, for people who are keen to embark on this journey and, and make this also one of the objectives in life? I think probably one of the things that stand out a lot is the, the whole... Uh, uh, practice amongst them, these ulama, particularly the Kitani ulama and others in general, about uh, how eager were, they were for their children to get involved from a very young age. They didn't deprive their children. Right? Like I said, if we look at some of the shiuk, he had been granted ijazah by those shiuk when he was one or two years old. And that was simply meant that the father took him along or sought ijazah on his behalf. And this is sometimes... Sometimes we feel, no, this person is too young or I'm too young to embark on this road or on this path. No, we must seize the opportunity because uh, uh, whenever there's a, a senior sheikh around, a senior scholar around in any part of the world, we should not deprive our, our youth, and etc., from going out and to meet these people and to take the benefit from them because uh, life is short. And uh, like we seen here, Abdul Hay al Kitani took his son along with, and that's what, with that, uh, you know, made him a person who boasted these high asanid. And also, not only simply the asanid that's important, it's to take the benefit from the ulama, uh, their knowledge, and uh, etc., the understanding of their deen. So this starts at an early age. It should start at an early age, and it should go on for a long time. Sheikh Abdul Rahman al Kitani dedicated his life once he became known. Uh, he was invited to other parts of the world, to Kuwait and Bahrain and to Saudi Arabia and other parts of the world, simply for what? For Hadith Majalis, gatherings, where they would invite 500 people, 1,000 people to a venue, and now we're reading Bukhari to uh, Sahih al-Bukhari to Abdurrahman al-Kitani, or we're reading the Muatta to him. And they had it in the Gulf often, these kind of gatherings. Uh, so uh, in that last maybe 30 years of his life or so or more, uh, these Kutub al-Sitta and other books, Muatta and uh, Shifa, were read multiple times to him. Till in his 80s, 90s, like I said, I visited him when he was in his 90s. People were still visiting him and reading Hadith to him. So it's a process which started way back when he was like a year old, but it went on till maybe the last two years of his life when he was quite ill, so many were not coming uh, you know, in to visit him too much because he was very ill. But Say till maybe till age of 105, 104, he would be, there were still people reading Hadith to him. So it was a lifelong journey that we need to all uh, sort of inculcate within ourselves that this acquisition of, of ilm and knowledge is a lifelong journey. Indeed, and uh, hopefully that encouragement shines through uh, for uh, imbibing within young and old the spirit of studying the hadith at the feet of the great masters and also the thirst to be able to uh, get these links, uh, firm links, 
that are the anchors of our deen and those, these are the chains that link us up to the great scholars of hadith and they, thereafter uh, right up to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum and the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam himself in the most authentic and verified ways. I thank you so much for the detailed discussion uh, going beyond the time limit as well. Uh, Sheikh, I really appreciate your time. Barakallahu uh, feek and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Shukran jazakallahu khayran wa assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi